0: Hey, everybody, this is Chuck. Before we get started, I, I realized as I was going through this podcast that it kind of became an advertisement of sorts for our urban design course, which we just dropped at the Strong Towns Academy. I want to give you a little bit of background on it that I didn't do in the podcast. The design course is a ton of fun. I actually went to Disney World for five days, took pictures in all the theme parks, and then went around my own hometown here at Brainerd and did like a contrast like here are urban design tricks that you see when really smart people know what they're doing and here's what you see in real life and here's how we could do things better it is a lot of fun a lot of our team here has gone through it and they're like wow this is really this is really cool it's uh informative it is 101 it's like for a design it's it's not like a professional level urban design course it's really like urban design for hacks I think there's 41 lessons. Here's like 41 things you can do that are really relatively easy that can make your city a lot better. Go to academy.strongtowns.org for that course and all the other courses we put together in the Strong Towns Academy series. Uh, If you are interested in learning how to build a strong town, uh, we set up this uh, series of courses for you. Thanks everybody. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. I have something that I did that I'm not proud of, that I actually regret having done. And I want to share with you because I I think it's instructive and helpful. And I think it will help you. Before I get to that, there's a few things that I need to explain first. My little hometown, we're celebrating our 150th year in existence this year. So 1871 was when this was founded. And it was founded with the original plat of Brainerd, Minnesota. That original plat included what today is the downtown and also, what is north of there, the residential neighborhood that I live and where my office is at, uh, that was all in the original plat of Brainerd. And in the middle of that neighborhood on the north was a town square. It's basically four square blocks right in the middle of that, what now is a residential neighborhood. Back then would have not been exclusively residential, but. It, it was the design as a town square and I, I can't remember what it's called in the Platte. It might in the Platte be Gregory Square. Gregory was like the uh, I, I'm gonna butcher this. I don't remember exactly. I think it was like the maiden name of the wife of or that might have been the town name of Brainerd. These things were all named after railroad people and it was designed to. Basically entice the railroad to move here, and if you think back, <laughs> we're all familiar with the interstate era to a greater degree than the railroad era. But you know, in the interstate era, it was who can get the highway running to their city, and who didn't. Those were the places that didn't get the traffic and uh, didn't do as well. And the places that could get the highway, yeah, now you're in the the modern times. Back then, it was the railroad. So. Brainerd was trying to get the crossing of the Mississippi River here. We were trying to get the, I think it was the Burlington Northern at that point to come through and cross the Mississippi at, you know, at our location. I live, boy, a thousand feet as a crow flies from the Mississippi River. We have a small crossing here. It's, it's for those of you that know the Mississippi River, it's very narrow here. I'm an hour and a half South of the headwaters. So it's very narrow where we're at. And we got one of those river crossings here in Brainerd, and that basically like made the city. But this park, Gregory Park, and the city itself, Brainerd, were named after railroad people as a way to you know, kind of say rah-rah. Little aside, I remember when the little town of St. Augusta in Minnesota was looking to incorporate. They were mad because the big regional center, City of St. Cloud, was annexing part of them. And they said, we're going to stop this annexation by becoming a city. And in order to do that, you have to petition, it's got to go to the legislature and all this stuff. And when they did it, they proposed their city name to be Ventura, because at the time, Jesse Ventura, the all-star wrestler turned politician, was our governor. And they thought they could you know, generate some support and, and sympathy, what have you, by naming the town after him. He was quite vain, so that wasn't a a bad strategy. Basically, that's the same strategy that the people who founded this city used, uh, except it wasn't the governor. It was railroads and railroad money. The astounding thing about this park is that, uh, well, and maybe it shouldn't be astounding in retrospect, but the astounding thing to me today is how great the urban design was in this park. I've got some photos from the 1920s, 1930s, We had a water tower a a couple blocks south of here that was really high, and people took some great photos off the top of that that showed the original park design, and it was amazing. I mean, I I look at it today, and I've I've just spent way too much time looking at some of these old photos of this place and and the stuff they did. Now imagine this. It's a four-block square area right, with some of the nicest homes in the community. At that point, it would have been all the wealthiest people, you know, the railroad people, the banker, the, you know, the most important people in town were living in this neighborhood. It's, it's not the case anymore, but back then that was, you know, th- these were gorgeous, beautiful homes, uh, large homes, kind of estate type places. It, it was really quite magnificent. In the middle of this park, so think of like the exact center of this four block area, you had a reflecting pool just a circular pool. In fact, the very first thing I saw, this was an old, old photo. And it was kind of one of those, the color eyes on it, it was really weird because it was an old photo, right? It was really old. And I actually thought that maybe it was a painting, like an artist rendering. That's how funky the colors looked. It wasn't an artist rendering. It was an actual, like real thing. It was the reflecting pool in the center of this park and around the reflecting pool, kind of, uh, I would say half the uh, half of it. Um, the reflecting pool was down low and then the, the ground rose a little bit. And at the top of this kind of small little ridge was a series of gazebos with these walkways kind of joining them. And then holding up the walkway and the gazebos were columns in like the Roman column kind of way. So we had a reflecting pool surrounded by these Roman columns. And it was very regal, very nice. And I'm just going to point out here that this today is a very poor city. Back then it was even poorer. I mean, these were very, there was some money obviously with the railroad and there was some money in town, but in general, this was like a pretty poor city yet. They imagine they managed to build what was a really spectacular middle of this park. As you go out from the center of this park, Think of like a north-south spine. Uh, So two of the square blocks on one side, two of the square blocks on the other, a north-south spine that runs through here. Radiating out of that center would have been a couple of sidewalks that would have gone all the way to the the street on the south. And along those sidewalks was a, a row of trees creating like this room in the middle. It was a great design effect. And the room ended on the one end in this reflecting pool at the middle and at the other end ended with a fountain, a fountain, uh, with, you know, the water with rising up in the air. When I was a kid, it had lights that would decorate it up. So it would change colors at, in the evening. It had these rock abutments that someone had put in on the side to kind of frame the entrance to this park. I, this was grand. I mean, this was really grand. And actually as you continued then going south, there was two blocks until you reached what today is the, the the highway through the middle of town. It would have been three blocks to the railroad and then like the core of the city. And in those three blocks back in those days, not only did you have this water tower, and when I say water tower, I don't mean like a bowl on top of stilts, the way we think of a water tower today. This was actually a commissioned artist came in and built a water tower that looks like a... Um, like a medieval castle tower, right? It looks like Rapunzel's, you know, tower, that kind of thing. It goes up and it's got the turrets at the top. And today we got flags on the top, but then it's got like miniature uh, windows on the way up. It's a a decorative tower. Um, And that was a water tower. I mean, it functioned that way for a long time, but it was designed to be this kind of architectural thing Uh, right next to our depot. So the train station was right there. You know, the old historic wood train station, all that was right there. And then right next to it was the the core downtown, you know, the bank, the theaters, like all that stuff, hotels, everything was right there. And the street that ran between the fountain at the south end of the park and the core downtown was just gorgeous design itself. It had a, a median and the median had uh, some low trees so you could see down and see the fountain and all the stuff in the park. And it, it it kept that view corridor that ran through there. But it was it was a really nice, like, balanced street. You had good trees along the side and then the sidewalks. So there was good separation of, of places where you would have uh, vehicles and places where people would be kind of, you know, more walking and what have you. The houses and the buildings along here were great urban form They came up, they kind of framed the public realm at just the right ratios and, and open onto the space. And when I look at this, it's just, it's just gorgeous. It's just perfect. I mean, they did a, a fantastic job. In the park itself, the sidewalks uh, went in a different configuration than they do today. Today I'm used to all the sidewalks converging on the middle but that's not what they did back then. What they did back then was actually the shortest, the quickest route to get to the fountain at the south end of the park. And the reason is because this was a commuting route. I mean, today I walk to the office and I will occasionally run into people who are walking to work, but it's very rare. I mean, usually if I run into people, they're out walking the dog or, you know, doing a pleasure walk of of one way or another. Not commuting. Uh, But back then, people would have commuted through this park. They would have gone to the downtown. They would have walked through this park. And so the sidewalks were designed to go, if you can think of the northeast and northwest corners, uh, instead of it going to the center and then going back to the edge on the other corners, uh, it actually went in a direct line just to the south of the park. So you could walk through it quickly or you could kind of meander through the park. This created a little bit of different areas and sections of the park and they would frame those sections. It was really nice with the the trees that they used. There were some trees in the middle, but you know, uh, not a lot. The idea was uh, the trees on the outside kind of created the space. It kind of defined the space as a park. And then there were little clusters of trees that would create these corridors and these other kind of view sheds within the park. All very lovely, all really like amazing. I, I look back at this and I'm just in awe. And part of me that's in awe is also a recognition that for them, this was as natural as, you know, building a strip mall with a parking lot in front is for us, right? Like we, we all culturally understand that when you build a big box store, you put a huge parking lot in front. Like I, you know, you don't have to go to school to learn that. Right. We all understand that when you build a drive through restaurant uh, you put the parking lot in front, you have a drive-through lane uh, and, you know, it exits out and, and gets back on the street. Like we, you don't have to go to landscape architecture school to, to learn the basics of urban design today or suburban design because we all live in this culture and we all know it. I suspect, and I, I'm, I'm almost certain I'm correct on this, I suspect that there was no great urban design mastermind who put this park together. I'm just assuming that the cultural consensus of the day kind of understood how you build nice places like this, you know, it was what they saw in other places. It was what they experienced. It was what their daily life was. And so, you know, they created this park in this grand way just because that's what they knew how to do, right? Like that was the shared cultural experience and that was the shared cultural expectations. But I look at it today and I just marvel. I marvel at the, the lost wisdom and I marvel at the, the sheer genius just embedded in that kind of historic wisdom handed down to them. You know, the, <laughs> as a population, we're far more literate, we're far more worldly, we're far more traveled, we, you know, have far more experiences, access to more information. Yet in their simple nature with the, the things that they had at their disposal and the collective knowledge that they had, they built a park that was spectacular. The reason why it is you know, so amazing today is because this is not at all what the, the park is like now. Not at all. There was a, a grandstand in the old park that they had built. And it, when you look at, and it, it took me a while to figure this out, when you look at the grandstand cause it's in a weird location today, like the today the, the grandstand doesn't make much sense. But when you looked at it back then, what you see is that the area adjacent to the grandstand had kind of a natural elevation rise to it. And so the grandstand is rather high. I want to say you're six, seven, maybe even eight feet off the ground at the base of the, the grandstand It's really high. And you can see where people, you know, up on stage on the grandstand performing, whatever piece of music, some theater, I, I, I don't know what they would have done. We, we do all of that today, but back then, you know, you would have been on the top of that. And then you would have uh, almost by the time you got to the edge of the park, had people near eye level with you on the bandstand because of this natural kind of gradient that went up, it created a, a little bit of like a amphitheater effect on the the one side of the grandstand. Well, today that side is a tennis court. The ground has been kind of leveled and shifted because the tennis court's obviously flat or pretty much flat. And while the tennis court sits, you know, a little below the top uh, above the bottom of the grandstand, uh, the tennis court is not at all used to watch music or theater or anything we do in the grandstand that happens on the other side and the other side, which is now kind of wooded. And so people sit in this woods, they bring their lawn chairs and then what have you. And most of the musical acts that perform at the bandstand now perform on the ground. Um, It's actually kind of weird when someone goes up on the top and you're like, why you feel very distant? Because it slopes downward from the bandstand in the back. And so when you sit there on the ground, not only are you looking up at these people, but you're looking up extra high because, you know, it's the ground sloping. The further you're away, the the higher up you have to arc your head to see. It's very awkward. But someone decided at one point that what this park needed was some tennis courts. And so they went out and I'm assuming, I I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming they just picked like the open spot, the spot where they have to take down the fewest trees which just happened to be like the nice part where people would sit and watch the, the the music in the park, and they made that in the tennis courts. And then you know we can say, well, you do the music on the other side, but it's it it doesn't it doesn't feel right. It feels very awkward, and, and so awkward in fact that you know the band's set up on the ground now because it's really hard to interact with a crowd and play music when they're so distant and 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 the, you know the dynamic is so weird. There's also basketball courts there now too, and I kind of. I don't mind the basketball courts It's actually come about in in an okay way, but they're kind of tucked in this weird spot, not well maintained, but again, kind of throw off the balance of, of what is an otherwise, you know, was kind of a, a very nice town square has become this active park. Now I, I know there was a period of time where we thought, you know, what you do with parks is you make them active. You know, the neighboring suburban city has active parks with baseball diamonds and tennis courts and basketball courts and all this stuff. And we, we needed that here too. Like that's people go to parks to recreate, not to, you know, have a green space in the middle of the city. And so we need to put these things in. So there's two children's playground areas. Uh, again, they're kind of like randomly placed within the park. They don't have a lot of coherence to them in terms of the layout and design, but but they're there. And, you know, when we had kids, they would go swing on the swing set. I don't think that they they don't have value, but um, they're a little odd in terms of their placement and their size and their scale and their design and, and all that stuff. You, you see this, what I would call slow devolution of the park during the post-war automobile era when the park became less about walking through and less about experiencing kind of passively as part of your neighborhood and more of an active place where you drive to and experience. We have nights where there's pickleball tournaments and nights where there's tennis competitions and Uh, Nights where they have music in the park still. And on those nights, there's cars everywhere because everybody drives. That was obviously not the case 100 years ago when the park was laid out and designed in in such a beautiful way. There's a new warming house that has gone in. First of all, the Roman columns are gone. Uh, All the gazebo stuff has been gone. It's been gone in my entire life. I, I don't remember it. The reflecting pool in the center is also gone, and I was told—and this is not a story that I have firsthand account of—but I was told that it was taken out because at some point a little kid drowned in the reflecting pool. I don't have the whole story. It, It was one of those kind of weird things, and. Who knows what happened and who knows how it happened. I've heard that the kid was killed and dropped there. I heard that the kid drowned there. I heard that it was them goofing around. I heard it was a little kid out that shouldn't have been there. And, you know, they just want to get rid of the safety hazard So this kind of thing never happened again. Who who knows? I, I don't know. There's a lot of like old tales about it, but all that is gone. And in the middle of the park, you have, Oh, I'm going to try to say this. I was going to say weeds. It's not quite that bad. You have these paver stones that they're kind of just cheap paver stones in the middle of the park surrounded by some, you know, low maintenance shrubs and, you know, with weeds growing up in it and some kind of poorly maintained, uh, you know, larger shrubs along the edge. It's, when you look at the past picture and you look at the current picture, it's very sad next to the center of the park, between the center of the park and, and the bandstand, they have built a warming house. This is Minnesota. We like to ice skate. I have to say, one of my favorite things about this park, it's a block and a half from my house, is walking over with my kids in the winter and going ice skating. And we do this all the time. Like It's it's great. It's a fun place to ice skate. And I have two daughters. We're not a hockey family. Uh, hockey families a little bit different than us we don't go over there with hockey sticks and stuff and you know what have you our park is actually for whatever reason you can't bring a hockey stick like there's actually signs that like no hockey here and so we tend to get the families that are out ice skating and the people who are figure skating and that kind of thing the hockey people have like five different places where they're invited to go and and do serious hockey and I know a lot of people who do that and they have a lot of fun and I've gone over there too every now and then I'm just not good at it. It's not what I do. So this really close to the house is like a nice little family neighborhood ice skating rink. And it, it's, it's nice in the winter. Uh, they used to have an old warming house and I kind of liked it. Uh, it was small, modest, you know, kind of run down one of those places that probably has like a couple mice living in the, you know, under the counter or whatever. I don't know. It it wasn't, it wasn't fancy at all. It was modest. It was nice. I liked it. It served its function. I mean, you're not spending a ton of time in a warming house. You're basically sitting down on a bench, putting your skates on, walking out the door skating when you're going home doing the reverse. Um, there's a lot of times that we go where the warming house is closed and you just put your skates on, on the ice and then start skating. It's, it's a nice convenience, but it's, it's, you know, not that big of a deal. A couple years ago, the warming house was torn down, the old one and a new one built in its place. And during that period of time, I got a little bit mad about it. I am pretty involved in things here, but I had no idea that this was happening. The building they built, I called it, you know, our little spec house. It looked like a suburban house. I mean, it's, I will say this and I say this on my own volition But, you know, the consensus from people in the neighborhood that I have spoken to is that this is an atrociously ugly building. And when you see the price tag for what the city spent on it, it's, it's horrible. It just will make you sick to your stomach. I don't know why they built this, this way. I, I know that they wanted to, you know, the old building was old and they wanted a new building and. They wanted a place for people to be able to sit on picnic benches. They wanted bathrooms that would be public bathrooms. There were some, you know, utilitarian things they were trying to solve. But it's very sad because it's an ugly building. It's right in the middle of the park. It's in a very high visibility place. They put the worst lighting possible around the outside. Of course, it's got all the cameras and stuff. So there's a little bit of a, you know, DMZ kind of feel to it it encroaches on that center area. So it kind of becomes the dominant feature in the middle of the park, even though it's just really out of place and ugly and kind of disproportionate where the gazebos used to have these Roman columns that kind of accented the, the, the middle of the park and made it grand and majestic. This kind of makes the park feel really off balance and off kilter. It's just, ugh, it, it made me sad. It made me sad at the point where I said, if I like became really wealthy, <laughs> and, you know, could just do things financially without consequence. One of the things that I would do would be to go to the city and say, here's, you know, whatever amount of money it takes to tear this thing down and let's build something respectful of the community and of the city and of, of this place. It, it is so sad. I'm learning to live with it and I'm learning to just accept it. It's pretty hideously ugly. Uh, for some reason, the city has also decided that the way you make the park work is to put a bunch of lights in it, but lights in kind of weird and random locations. There's there's one light in particular that drives me nuts. In that center area between the middle of the park and the fountain, that that corridor that goes to the south, the city's placed a couple lights in the middle of that corridor. And it's, it's bad enough because there's a view shed there that runs through there. And they've cluttered up that viewshed for like no discernible reason. But they've cluttered it up. I mean, they put them slightly off center. So it's a little bit like, you know, looking at like a human equivalent would be someone with like one eye a half inch higher than the other one, right? Like no offense to people who who, <laughs> who don't have symmetrical faces. Very few people do. But like when there's grossly asymmetrical, it's just there's something that feels a little bit off about it. I, I, I look at this and and it just looks off because it has this asymmetry to it that is just uh, not comforting. It, it it doesn't feel right, and you know again, you can get used to these things over time. I have grown used to it. I think my neighbors have grown used to it, but it's one of these things that like really bothers me. And then they've just strewn lights kind of randomly in different places. And so you get these really bright areas and then you get these deep shadows and then you get these really bright areas and then you get these deep shadows. And it, it it makes the experience of being in the park, this alternate of being, you know, blinded and then, you know, having like the deep shadow next to you that is kind of, you know, spooky and, and what have you. Uh, completely unnecessary. Again, waste all kinds of money on electricity that is not benefiting anyone. This could not have been cheap to do the way that they did it. But, you know, it it, it has like that demilitarized zone kind of feel to it where, you know, at one point you're under a lamp being interrogated and you're like all lit up for the world, you know, and you get this feeling that there's like a sniper in the bushes, like, you know, got their eye on you. And then in the next, you know, five paces later, you're in total pitch black shadow and no one can see you. And this is a very weird, very strange design. I I don't know who thought this lighting would be a good idea, but it's there. Here's where I'm getting to the strangest thing about the park or the thing that I think is kind of everything else. I've been able to find a way to live with and accept uh, with a long-term vision towards Hopefully fixing it, and and maybe that that vision's a little delusional. I'm probably not gonna get a million dollars anytime soon. Uh, but you know, at least there's a vision I can live with. The part that I've really struggled with is what they've done now with benches and, and and trees. I don't know why. I can postulate. Like I I my guess is that they thought this would be a really nice way to get people to donate money and invest money in the park. But I'm not sure. At some point, the city came up with this memorial program. And the memorial program kind of runs like this. If you would like, you can give the city money for a bench and or a tree. And the city will put that in for you. If it's a bench, you can put you know, whatever memorial is on there. And, and most of them that are out there say like in memory of, or say someone's name, you know, that kind of thing. Or you can pick a tree uh, or you can do both. And as part of this process, you not only get to place these things in the park, but you get to kind of decide where you want them placed, where, where you would like them to go. And as part of this memorial you get a little plaque on our bandstand that shows kind of the coordinates of where your memorial is. Now, part of placing trees in parks is something very intentional about doing it. You know, creating these view sheds, creating these outdoor rooms, creating these corridors, really maximizing the sense of place in that park. What this has done is just the exact opposite. It's like, it's like someone randomly threw up trees and of course they're not trees that have any stateliness to them. They're not trees that are, you know, kind of go with the design of the park. If you go back to the old photos of the park, you'll see these trees that have these great, you know, vertical trunks that go straight up and are very broad and powerful and then have these large canopies on top that create this shade and build this real strong like sense of place with their symmetry to it and all that no what we've done is they've just gone and strewn about the park like crab apple trees and this flowering tree and that random tree and this little birch and they're in like weird places and of course everybody wants their tree in that center part Uh, where we've got the view shed. Everybody wants their tree there because then, you know, more people will see it and I'll remember grandma better and all that kind of stuff. The trees kind of go on this theory that the park is junky and the way we make the park nicer is just to plant more stuff. And there's a certain kind of base logic to that. Like, you know, James Howard Kunstler calls this a nature band-aid and there's a certain amount of like nature band-aidism going on. And so my neighbors tend to look at this and be like, yay, this is an improvement. You know, and you're just getting like the bad design covered up with more bad design. The, the benches though are the ones that I think have universally now driven people mad because the benches are just strewn randomly about. And, and quite frankly, in places that make no sense. Uh, I travel through this park every day. It's, it's part of my walk to and from work. It's part of my walk to and from church. You know, I, I walk the dog through every night. Uh, my guess is that I pass through this park. In a seven-day week, I pass through this park 20 times. I have rarely, rarely seen anyone sit on a bench that has been put in the park. And a big part of this is because it just, they don't make any sense, right? There'll be like a bench at some cockeyed angle in the middle of a grove of trees, like staring at the road, there will be a bench that sits five feet from a, an evergreen tree, like staring into the middle of the tree. There's benches over by the tennis courts, but not in a place where you would actually sit to watch a tennis match. It, it would be like watching a tennis match. If you wanted the worst possible angle to the, to the tennis match, it's really maddening because not only are these, you know, benches being put in weird locations, but it's a memorial now. Like you you, you can't move it. It's there. And, you know, it, 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 someone's like, you know, dead ancestor has meaning attached to this thing. I, I was out in the park once. It was actually the, the 4th of July and Brainerd, my hometown is, is kind of fun at the 4th of July. A lot of people come to town, a lot of stuff going on. Um, But this was, I remember it was a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night and I was taking after the fireworks and after everything else, I was taking the dog for a walk and we were walking and we walked through the middle of the park and on the way through the middle of the park, there was some people there having some fun. They were setting off fireworks. They were having a good time. We kind of walked around them and avoided them. It was a little before midnight. I'm a late night walker, but um, you know, it was 4th of July. So we were still up, Griffin and I. And then we went and we went on our route and we came back and we go through the park on the way home as well. And when we came through, there was no fireworks at that point, like everything was fine. We walked through the center of the park like normal. And of course, again, this lighting effect of being blinded and being in the complete shadows and all this, I didn't see these people were still in the middle of the park. And when we got close, they lit off a firework and they actually threw it at us. They didn't throw it at us intentionally, I don't think. I'm, I'm almost positive they didn't. But again, like we came out of the shadows because, you know, the lighting's so terrible in there. And all of a sudden there's this like whirling firecracker, like, you know, flying around and my dog's going nuts. And he's a 100 pound dog. He's not a dog to be trifled with. You know, he's like, pull my arm off and he's freaked out and I don't like this. And I might have dropped a, a couple uh, unfriendly words at these people. They were clearly intoxicated going on and on one of the things they said is that we are here in honor of my uncle have some respect. He was a veteran. He fought in world war two and data. They went on and on and we planted this tree here for him. And they pointed to like the worst tree in the worst location in the middle of the park. Like just, I hate this tree. They put it in just like the worst spot. And they're like, you know, my uncle fought here, and you should have respect. And I, I remember, I said, well, I, you know, I was in the military too, and uh, I respect you and your uncle, but it's you know, twelve thirty in the morning. It's not July Fourth anymore. All these people are going to work. Get the heck out of the park, you know. And they're like, thank you for your service. But they did, they did get up and leave. But the moral of the story here is, I'm like, this tree is there. It's their uncle's tree. They planted this in the name of their uncle. God help us if that tree is is not there in that location, forever. Now their you know uncle who sacrificed and you know did all this, we'll not be honoring and respecting him in the way that their whatever hundred dollar two hundred dollar I don't know how many hundred dollar donation bought basically a claim on the middle of this park for eternity for all time at least until someone forgets about it. This is frustrating to me. It drives me crazy because it's not only like a systematic devaluation of our park, but but it's actually like selling this thing of massive value to people who don't value it as much as they should. And in the process, actually making it a lot less valuable for everybody. And I I use this term value. I am thinking in my mind money to a degree, but I'm also equating money with just the experience of the place. This park was designed to be a wealth generating machine for all the neighborhood, for the entire area it was designed to be a well-generated machine because it was a beautiful, gorgeous park to live next to, to experience, to be part of. We have destroyed that wealth creation capacity because we've destroyed the value of this park. And the people who are managing it and running it now have no clue what they're doing. And they're systematically with good intentions. I'm, I'm not denying their intentions, but without understanding what they're doing, they are systematically devaluing this park, lessening the experience, making it a worse place for people to be. So now we're going to get to the part where I screwed up. I've been working with my neighbors to try to do a better job here, try to fix up some of these parks, to try to change some of these policies, to try to to kind of turn the corner and, and start to make some progress. And, a lot of that is is just building relationships with people, right? It, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with urban design. It doesn't have anything to do with good park design. It doesn't have anything to do with planting trees or putting out benches. It, it has to do with building relationships. And I'm going to make an acknowledgement here. I'm not the best at that. I tend to not be patient enough. I tend to not be considerate enough. I tend to feel like I know more. And, um, and maybe I do, you know, this is actually my realm of expertise. And so I, I do feel like I know a lot, but I tend to not have enough patience with people who don't or people who see things differently. And, you know, I would argue that a lot of this is not about aesthetics. I think that's one of the pushbacks for the people who designed the, uh, the, the, the new warming house in the center of the park. They will say, well, Chuck, you just don't like our aesthetics and there's a little bit of Ann Sussman that comes out in me and it's like, yeah, neither does, you know, human history. Like, you know, m- like m- most humans who look at this are not going to say, wow, nice building. And I can show you, you know, a hundred buildings that most people will say that. in. there is a certain vernacular that is appealing to almost universally. And then there's a certain vernacular that, you know, <laughs> Does not have that. So some of this is about aesthetics, but a lot of it is is not. And I think I have not been, you know, patient enough or understanding enough or able to communicate in the way that I would like to. I'm getting better. I'm working at it. I've been working at it for a number of years now. I, f- I feel like I'm making some progress, but it's been a lot about humbling myself and a lot about patience. And and th- that is that is hard. I'm I'm going to acknowledge up front. We talk about that a lot, but it is hard. So the other night I'm up for a walk and I did not have my glasses on. I am uh, nearsighted. So I have I have trouble seeing things far away. I'm walking through the park with Gryffindor, the dog, and I can see this uh, orange fence on the other side of the park, this orange area. And I'm, I'm like, What, you know, what, what happened here? Did did something go wrong? Did they, is there a stump they're taking? Like what, what happened here? And as I got closer and closer to it, I started to recognize what it was. And I started to actually say out loud, no, no, please, no, no. I was just so upset because here in, what could fathomably be like the worst location in the park is another bench right in that middle of that viewshed that, that one like corridor where there should be nothing, where you can see from the downtown to the center of the park and there's a fountain in the middle and the U S flag. And it's a really great viewshed. They've put two really junky benches right there in the middle and We have been trying, we, me, and some other people have been nudging and trying to get people to recognize that we could move these benches to the side. I've explained that it's a little bit like putting the furniture in the middle of your room and have it face outwards as opposed to putting furniture on the edge of your room and have it face in. I think people are starting to grasp it. People are starting to get it. Certainly the neighborhood group is starting to, to get on this. We actually came up with a plan this spring to relocate some of these benches to a, what I would call a more respectful place, a, a more logical place, a place where you create some symmetry and some power and actually make some uses from a place where people would actually use the bench as opposed to now where They just sit there and, and nobody uses them. And, you know, we were getting ready to go through kind of the, the work of going out and meeting with families whose memorial these benches were and having a conversation with them about the possibility of, of moving their bench to a different location. Now, here is a third bench, brand new, put in, in the, the worst possible place. Just terrible place. I got mad and at... 11 at night, I took a photo of this bench. It was maybe like 10.30. I took a photo of this bench and I posted it on Facebook to our neighborhood group. And I just said, why, 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 why? Why are we doing things like this? What is the meaning of this? Who is in charge? Why does this keep happening? This is horrible. It's a terrible bench. It's in a terrible location. It's disrespectful to everyone. Who in their right mind would allow this to continue to happen. How do we stop this? I went on my walk. I finished up, got home. My wife is sitting there and she is my conscience. She is a a beautiful, wonderful person. If the times that I have screwed up most of my life have been the times I have not listened to her. And she said, you need to change that. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And she goes, you need to change the thing you posted on Facebook. It's, it was, it was mean, it was not nice. And you are, you are not going to be successful doing what you're doing. If you talk like that, if you, if you go off the handle like that. And I was mad. I mean, I wasn't mad at her per se, but I was, I was angry and I was upset. And I'm like, well, if a few people are upset, a few people are upset, you know, like they'll grow up, you know, let's, let's fix this. Like people should be upset. People should be ticked off. But you don't get far not listening to my wife. She's very smart. She's very insightful. She knows me. She knows our neighbors. So I went down and I rethought it and I I rewrote it and I tried to make it a little bit nicer. I'm sad that this keeps happening. I'm sad that the people who are investing in these memorials are, are not having them go in places where we all can celebrate them. I'm sorry that the people that are doing this are putting them in places that are not respectful to the neighborhood and to the community. And and I would like to work with people to help fix this situation. And, you know, a bunch of my neighbors spoke up and said, yes, we'd like to help and we're going to put together a group that's going to do that. But the next morning I had an interaction and with the city, let me get to the bottom of this because I know who it was before and that person is gone. And I kind of thought the program would die with that person retiring and moving on. They were intransigent about it not dying. And now they're gone and I thought this this program's gonna end because everybody hates it and everybody knows it shouldn't be happening. But no, it happened again. So I contacted the city and I said, "Who who is now responsible? And I found out who it was. It was a, a guy I know very well, a guy I've worked with there in some of my volunteer capacity, he's a nice man. And he said, look, I, I knew this was going to cause problems, but you know, we still have this program and like, what are we supposed to do? They came in and donated the money and said where he wanted the bench and they're putting in a tree too. And it's, it's all going to go in and like, what do you want me to do? And you know, my reaction was to, to get mad, to get angry. And I'm like, you know, I want you to stop this, like stop it. But he invited me and I I think he is right. And I think he's being cordial about it. He invited me to like, you know, help us figure out what to do differently, help us put together a plan so that we're putting these benches in the right place and we're planting these trees in the right place. And and I said, yes, I'm going to do that. So, so I'm actually going to meet with them to do that. But he emailed me later and he said, you know, I went out there to take out the fence. Because the, the, the little orange snow fence was around it to keep people from sitting on the bench because the bench is in concrete in the ground and the concrete had to dry. And so they didn't want people sitting on it while it was drying. So they, they fenced it off. And he goes, I went, I went to take out the fence. And the man was there whose bench this was, the guy who, who paid for the bench. And the bench is in memory of his wife who just passed away him and his wife used to come and and visit the park because they liked the fountain and they would sit and look at the fountain together while she was, you know, suffering and going through her end of life period of time. And so he wanted to have this bench, not only to memorialize her, but to have a place where they could go out or he could go out and, and think of her and sit and, and watch the fountain. And, my friend at City Hall said, you know, he went out there to to get the fence and the guy was there and he was in tears. Um, you know, looking at this bench that he had put out here and and in his wife's name, you know, her name was on it in memory of a memorial of. And uh, you know, obviously there's a very emotional thing for him. I I can't fathom, I can't relate. I, I don't know what I would do if if I were in a, a similar situation of of heartbreak. It just reinforced to me that all of this, all of this is about people at the end of the day. It's all about people. I, I absolutely hate this bench. I hate where it's placed. I, I hate the design of the bench. They're uncomfortable that you can't sit well on them. They're, they're just, they're terrible benches. I don't know whose idea this was. I hate the whole thing but I love the love that comes with it, right? I deeply admire the love that has gone into placing these things out there. I I hate the tree location. I, I hate this group of drunk people in the middle of my park throwing fireworks at my dog and being obnoxious jerks on the 4th of July. But I love the joy, Right? I love the joy of, of going out and remembering someone you cared about. I, I, I love the uh, the reverence and the respect for people who served the country and, and sacrificed. I, I admire the way that people remember others in ways that are dignified. In a lot of ways, I'm an obstacle here, right? And I recognize that you know, my approach, when my approach starts and ends with frustration and anger and, uh, you know, know-it-all kind of attitude, when, when, when my approach uh, starts from a place of, you know, why are you doing something so stupid out here, I am just completely ineffective, And I can be the smartest person and I can be the guy who knows what to do and I can have a great vision and no one is ever, ever, ever going to hear it. It's all about relationships. It's all about people. It's all about figuring out how we make this work. We just finished this urban design course and man, I had a ton of fun doing it. As part of the Strong Towns Academy, and you can go to academy.strongtowns.org and see this. we put together these different courses. We started this at the beginning of the pandemic, and I, I went through and did the transportation course. It wound up to be way longer than I thought it was going to be, but it's it's pretty awesome. Like I'm really proud of it. I've gone through now and done the urban design course, and wow, did it turn out way better than I, I thought it would. I went around my hometown, and I took photos of different things, took videos of different urban design challenges. And then I spent a week at Disney World and I went around the different parks and resorts and took photos of great urban design. I recognize that Disney World is not a real place in the sense that, you know, people live there and, and stuff. Um, but it is a place of great urban design. It's a place where people really get urban design. They care about designing places for people. They spend a great deal of time and energy thinking this through. And so what I did is I set up, I think there's like 41 lessons, something like this, contrasting a real place, uh, a place that is atrophied, a place where we've forgotten like basic design principles, my hometown, and compare that to a place where they've, they've tried to recapture that knowledge, recapture that set of skills. I say right at the top, this is not like a college course in urban design. This is like a 101 hack course designed to get you like, the 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 basics that you need to, to not screw things up too badly, right? To to start making a decent place. So we talk about how to frame streets, how to use trees correctly, how what the difference between a framing tree and a, uh, you know a a landmark kind of tree is. How to uh, create view sheds, um, what to do with your utility boxes, how to handle storm water. There's all these like basic one on one urban design things that are just foreign concepts to us, and I, we put this course together and. When I got done, I was really, really proud of it, but I was kind of ashamed to share it with my neighbors Um, because it is like, here's every bad thing we've done in Brainerd. Here's every way we've screwed this up and, and, and messed this up. And I've always thought that, like, you know, the things we've done wrong here in Brainerd, when I talk about them, when I bring them up, when I share them with you, it is so, in a sense, like everybody else learns from our mistakes. There's also another part of this that is deeply therapeutic for me because when I can enunciate it and can explain it, I almost feel like I'm dealing with it. I'm finding a way to cope with the fact that the the, uh, the benches are in really bad places or the warming house is just this abomination I wish I could get rid of. But I'm actually to the point now in my relationship with my neighbors and and in my goal to be a little bit more humble and be a a little bit more of of a servant to them and to my community, I actually need to, you know, find some other examples. I need to find some examples from other places for them because it's really hard to look at your place with these kind of eyes. It's really hard to see. It's really hard to see the beam in your eye and not the uh, the sliver in everyone else's, right? We understand that. That's human nature. That's the way we're wired. I'm trying. I'm trying to get better. And I guess, you know, the whole point of this podcast is to help you uh, see in yourself, uh, you know, to the extent that you struggle with the same things that I do, this idea that we can see things so clearly, whether it's the Ponzi scheme or whether it's bad urban design or whether it's, you know, the fact that adding more lanes is not going to improve congestion or putting in more parking in the downtown is only going to make your downtown worse. There are all these things that as part of the Strong Towns conversation are, are so obvious and so self-evident, but so elusive to so many it's often this, this, you know, experience of like peak frustration. And we almost feel like we want to just like flip the card table over and scream at someone and say, why can you be, you know, why are you so ignorant? Why are you so dumb? Why can't you see things in a different way? And it won't work. If we want to be effective, we have to not only meet people where they are, but we have to do it with humility. We have to listen to them. We have to understand where they're coming from. We have to respect the fact that they're mourning their their deceased wife and that, you know, this thing that offends me brings them comfort. And we can't discount that and we can't belittle that. And we can't pretend that doesn't matter. We have to actually do that hard work in our neighborhoods with the people around us to make our places better. That doesn't mean I have to accept the bench there. I'm actually going to work to get it moved. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try. But but I'm going to try not by being mad, not by ridicule and shame, but I'm going to try through empathy to get that moved. And here's the thing. If I can get it moved through empathy, not only will we get it in a better location, but I think we can get it in a location where everyone will be proud of it. Everyone will feel good about it, including the person who wants to just sit on the bench, look at the fountain, and remember their wife and the life they had and you know the joyous moments that they experienced in this park. I love that. I want more people to have that experience. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. We'll talk again soon. Take care. Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go on bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. Bill. That's the story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, made the city? The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.